This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 40 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Welcome to the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB here in Kansas City. I'm here every week as we talk about the mental side of sports. It's playoff time. It's the time to watch the elite of the NFL play as we go into the road to the Super Bowl. And, you know, I do this show every week. We talk about the mental side of sports. We talk about sportsmanship. We talk about competitiveness. We talk about attitudes. Last week we talked about self-confidence and how I believe learning how to deal with failure becomes one of the keys to success in terms of becoming more confident. How do you have a positive attitude? How do you get mentally prepared? Where does focus come in? How do you deal with distractions? Well, as we get into the elite level of the NFL now with the playoffs going on, you see the best players step up to the plate and perform under pressure. And for years, we've watched so many great teams play, and behind these great teams are great coaches. Throughout my 40 years of work, I've had the privilege of meeting many, many great people in the world of sports, coaches, athletes, trainers, clubhouse attendants, all kinds of people. And uh, there's an individual I met back in the early 1990s when he was coaching for the Kansas City Chiefs, who I have developed a good friendship with. A man I respect immensely. His name is Al Saunders, and he's been kind enough to join us this morning on the show to talk about playoffs, the pressure. How do you repeat a Super Bowl champion? Can you do that? And he's joining us live on the phone. Al, good morning. How are you? Good morning, uh, Andrew. How are you? I'm great. Listen, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, You know, you have such an incredible resume of experience coaching. Your successes are are, are just all over the place with the things you've done. You coached here with the Kansas City Chiefs a couple of times with Marty Schottenheimer and Dick Vermeil, and then, of course, you went with the Rams when they went to the Super Bowl under Dick Vermeil. You've coached all over the place. You were a head coach in San Diego years ago. You yourself are a tremendous athlete, a great swimmer, a marathoner. Uh, but more importantly, you know, you're, you're, you're a great person. I've really appreciated our friendship over the years and your, your honesty and integrity about sports. So thank you so much for joining me this morning. Well, thank you for those nice words. I appreciate that. And, and certainly the feelings are mutual as uh, I've grown as a coach and grown as a person over the years, uh, you know, enjoying listening to you and how much you have provided information and direction and some real strong counsel for uh, youth, especially those uh, youth athletes in Kansas City and those that listen to your, your broadcast. I think it's a great service. And uh, we in the sports profession, uh, the coaching, the, a lot of the players I know listen to your, your program, and we really appreciate your insights. Well, thank you, Al. I appreciate that. Listen, we're, we're <clears throat> starting the playoffs here in Kansas City today. The Chiefs are playing the Browns, of course, yesterday. There were two great games where uh, Buffalo beat Baltimore and Green Bay 
overwhelm the Rams. Last week we had the beginning of the playoffs. You've you coached for years. You've been through this this whole regiment before. Just just to start off with, what does it take? What does it take to win these games? What does it take? Because everybody's good. You've got all these all pros all over the place. How do you get to the point where you can end up winning these games? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, and um, you know, I've always said whether it's little league or whether it's uh, CYO basketball or whether it's high school or college or, or, or pro basketball, football, hockey, baseball, doesn't make any difference. The best players have the best chance to win. And that's, it's not always guaranteed, but certainly it, the best talented players have the best chance to win, but that doesn't always happen as you well know uh, in, in your business and dealing with some of the world's elite athletes in many sports. And it, it takes a, you know, to use a common term that was coined a long time ago, it kind of takes a whole village. You know, it's the emotional, it's the mental, it's the preparation, it's the detail, it's the focus, all of the things that you talk about in regards to what makes a champion. That that kind, kind of comes to fruition during these weeks. It, it's how these players handle the daily routine and how they handle the preparation and how they handle the mental aspect of it, which I think at this point, because the playing field is, is fairly level, Although I, I would say that, in all honesty, I think if you polled everybody in the National Football League, coaches and administrators alike, they would say that Kansas City is the most talented team. And I think we all believe that. And, and I'm so excited that they are after spending 15 years there, uh, you know, reaching an AFC championship game, several division titles. We never made it <clears throat> quite to the Super Bowl. And now they're the dominant team in the National Football League. But it's still going to come down to the mental preparation um, how they handle adversity, uh, you know, during the week during this pandemic has been just unbelievable. How teams have been able to deal with that, um, and and that's something that uh, going into this game, uh, playing against Cleveland, I coached Cle- in Cleveland on the four years uh, for four years, uh, and they have a, a talented football team too. You've got Kareem Hunt coming back. You've got. Uh, Nick Chubb, who I think is one of the finest runners uh, in the National Football League. Uh, the, the quarterback is playing at a high level. Their defense is playing well. So even though Kansas City is the most talented team, it's going to take the uh, the mental focus, the preparation, uh, the attention to detail, and certainly the game planning and the strategy that goes into it. It's, it's not easy uh, to win in the National Football League because the, the, the playing table is quite even, but coaches like Andy Reid and the staff uh, in Kansas City have done such a, such a tremendous job of preparing those players on a weekly basis. I think that, that will be the deciding factor in this game. Joining me this morning is former NFL great coach Al Saunders. He's been kind enough to add his expertise to our show this morning. We're talking about the playoffs, the NFL playoffs going on right now, of course, here in Kansas City, the home of the Super Bowl champion Chiefs, open up today against the Cleveland Browns. So the mental aspect, Al, as a coach, how, how much did you coach the mental aspect? Because, you know, I always like to say you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with a stronger mind will be the one who'll come out on top. So as a coach, how did you coach psychology with athletes? That's a great question. And, and, and I, you know, it, everybody's different. I, I think we all know that. We know that as parents. We know that as, uh, you know, as, in relationships with, uh, you know, with just people in general that uh, everybody's different and, and, and people are motivated by different things. Uh, people are, are in different places in their life with uh, personal issues. Uh, and, and all of those things are dealt with with athletes, especially on the pro level when you spend so much time with those players on a daily basis. I, I remember 
many times uh, dealing with players' personal problems with spouses, with uh, girlfriends, significant others, um, with their family. Uh, all of those things uh, are taken into consideration when you're working with an athlete. It's about confidence in their own ability. It's about confidence in their preparation. It's about uh, dealing with stresses outside of the particular game and being able to, to get them to focus uh, on the moment. Uh, this game that the Kansas City Chiefs are playing today, every one of those players um, have issues uh, in their personal life, uh, whether they be major or minor. They have things that they're dealing with. They're 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 different. They're going in different directions with uh, their emotions and everything else. And uh, the, the the important thing of the the, the psychology of, of, of performance, I think, in a particular event, is being able to challenge channel all of that energy and all of that mental uh, emotion and feeling and uh, into the direction of the specific task that they're going to have to do today, which is go play that football game. So, you know, I dealt with it on a lot of different areas. I had other people involved. I had uh, family involved. I had uh, everything I could in my power to understand, you know, how a, a player felt emotionally, you know, how he felt toward an opponent, how he felt toward his preparation, um, how he felt toward things that were going on in his personal life. Yeah, and those, and, and those are obviously all the things you've got to deal with. And as a coach... I always say a good coach is a good psychologist. A bad coach needs a sports psychologist. Joining me this morning is NFL great coach Al Saunders. We're talking about the playoffs, the pressure. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com radio. That's winnersunlimited.com radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com radio. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. 
Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Olivia, from Washington. Laid off and trying to keep our little kids from realizing that mommy and daddy haven't eaten in a while. Roger, from California. I'm grateful we could afford our son's surgery. I'm nervous that now we can't really afford food. Daniel, from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Donna from Louisiana. The storm just hit, and we went from donating to the food bank to needing it. Keisha from South Carolina. I've been skipping meals so my two kids can eat, but filling up on water doesn't really work. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. My guest this morning is... Former NFL great coach Al Saunders, he's been kind enough to join us today to talk about the playoffs and pressure. And, you know, Al, let me ask this question. You coached for a long time. The cycle, you know, I always like to say, as I said, two athletes are physically the same, but they want the stronger mind will come out on top. As a coach, how do you get an athlete to mentally be stronger than maybe they think they can be? In other words, how do you build that confidence, in, especially in, a, in an NFL player? Well, that, that's a great question. You, you could make billions of dollars if you could nail that. And I think of all the uh, people like yourself who are truly sports psychologists and are truly great at what they do, um, you know, have the best approaches in that regard. And, and most teams, uh, you know, lean on, on the professionals, uh, the sports psychologists, for that kind of advice in dealing with players and specifically individuals that uh, do have some issues in that regard. But I've, I've always found, like, the most important thing, I think, and regardless of the sport, it's, it's the preparation of the athlete is the routine um, that they follow uh, in order to get to the level that they need to play at a high level. Um, their confidence in their preparation, uh, that you're thorough in terms of allowing them to see the situations, uh, whether it's a visualization or it's actually the physical uh, repetitiveness of a particular task. Let me, let, me inter- let me inter- interrupt you right there about visualization because... As you know, I've talked about visualization forever. Um, right. When I first started forty years ago, people were like, "Oh, come on! What are you What are you talking about, Doc? That that's 
ridiculous. And now visualization is part of sport. You hear it all the time. And, and you were a competitive ass swimmer, you know, when you were in college and younger, you've run for years, you've run marathon. How important as, as a coach is visualization for players at this level? Oh, to me, I, I think it's, it might make the difference between uh, success and failure at the highest level. Because I think you have to you have to see yourself win. You have to feel yourself win. You have to feel what that's like. You have to visualize what that's like. But there's no doubt that you have the ability to do that. You know, and I think players that uh, are, are not confident, uh, even at a young age, you take a young little league player who's going up to the plate, uh, you know, for the first time with, uh, you know, in a situation where they're getting a ball pitched to them by another player. Fear, uh, you know, so many of those young kids kids have fear. Uh, it's a the young basketball player that is playing in elementary school or even junior high school or high school that hasn't played uh, you know against a real good competitor yet and and they have the fear of not being able to succeed. Um, it's not about physical production, it's about the emotional and mental side of it. And so the visualization part of seeing yourself be successful, seeing yourself make that shot, seeing yourself hit that ball, Seeing yourself catch the ball, or seeing yourself throw the ball, or seeing yourself, you know, take off on a on a, a swimming block and and making the best flip turn you can make and come off, you know, with some energy and some effort. That that visual, visualization part of of a sports athlete's preparation uh, and the mindset prior to competition, I think, is is probably one of the things that separate the really true great athletes and the, and those that are that are really really good. And especially when you come into, you know, the championship level, the championship game, the tennis match, you know, the the uh, the Super Bowl, you know, the visualization of seeing yourself do that. We played, we used to play all the time, you know, going to football. We'd, we'd play uh, videos of uh, the really good plays that those individual players, receivers, for example, uh, made uh, during the week of practice, games in, in, in prior, that they played prior to the game that we're playing. I mean, we'd sit down and, and turn off all the lights and put on the video and show, you know, five, six, ten great clips of each one of those players making spectacular catches um, so that the last thing that they saw, you know, before the competition that they, they actually competed in was them being successful, doing what they're going to be asked to do, you know, in the competition in front of them. That's that's in, an incredible way to coach, I believe, because you're focusing on the positives. But at the same time, you also have to deal with with the failures. So so when an athlete fails, and I, I you know I remember a playoff game a few years ago between the Seahawks and the Packers. It was getting towards the end. It was in Seattle. Seattle was losing in Green Bay. Uh, Seattle kicked an offside, uh, excuse me, an onside kick uh, to Green Bay. The ball took a weird bounce. It bounced, hit the. Uh, Green Bay player's helmet is their third-string tight end. Saddle recovered, ended up winning. Well, that player then went to the sideline, and I remember the special teams coach ripped off his headset and was just screaming at this guy, this guy sitting on the, on the bench with his head in his hands, and a bunch of players had to pull this coach away. What, what do you think about something like that? Because there was yeah, about two, three minutes left in the game. This guy had to go back out there again. Yeah, well, you know, that's, a, that's not a coach I would like to be coached by, and I'm sure that that player probably felt the same way and it, that doesn't happen instantaneously that's something that that happens over time you know the personalities of the coaches are sometimes as important as the personalities of the player but when you put that that shirt on that says coach you have an obligation uh, and a responsibility 
to uh, treat the people that you're with with dignity, with respect, and with the ability to teach. Coaches are teachers. And, and a great coach that I work for, uh, Marty Schottenheimer, I'll never forget him saying this uh, to our staff. He said, there's a difference between telling and teaching. He says, I want great teachers on my staff. He said, I don't want you telling players what to do. I want you teaching players what to do. So, and that really reflects on on making mistakes or, or an error in a game, or you know somebody you know does something that is probably not in line with with what you would like him to do in terms of your teaching philosophy. But you have to have a way of dealing with players and dealing with people, um, so that there's a common respect and there's an understanding in that regard. And, and failure, everybody's going to fail, uh, and, and everybody needs to know that there's a time when. Failure is going to happen, and, and failure is a hard word, but when you turn it into um, a teaching moment, as we would all say, you know, it, it's about, okay, this is the, you, you didn't succeed, you didn't, you, you, you struck out, okay, and, and on that third strike, you took a, you took a swing at a curveball um, because you didn't have patience. So how now are we going to go ahead and, and work and teach you so that the next time that happens, you'll be ready to have a successful encounter you know, with that ball as it, as it drops off the plate. And, and that goes back to the, the, the preparation. It goes back to the focus. It goes back to the understanding. And it goes back to the ability of that coach dealing with those individual players on any level to be able to communicate and impart confidence in that player. Because when you fail, you know that's not the way to do it. So the important thing then at any level, whether it's in algebra class at school, but no matter what it is, I, I, I haven't done uh, my, my particular task at the level that is acceptable. So those, those young kids and those professional athletes, they're looking to their teacher or their coach to be able to help them do a better job next time. And that's our responsibility as coaches, our responsibility as teachers, to find a way to take that failure and put it into a positive capsule and say, this is what it's going to feel like when you do it right, and this is how you're going to do it right, and I'm going to take you and show you how to do it, and we're going to train, and that's what training is for, and that's what practice is for. And, then, and, that, and, that, and Al, you've just explained why you're such a great coach all the years you coached in the NFL. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacob. Joining me today is NFL great coach Al Saunders. We're talking about the mental side of sports. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. 
One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio. 810 WHB in Kansas City, and you're hearing that word pressure in the background. We're going to talk about that next. My guest this morning is Al Saunders, NFL great coach, coached for years, Super Bowl champion with the St. Louis Rams, coached many years here in Kansas City with the Chiefs. I got to meet Al back in the early 90s and struck up a friendship with him. Just just one of the best people I've ever met and a wonderful, wonderful person outside of being a great coach. And, and Al, let's talk about the word pressure, okay, because it's the playoffs. You win and you move on, you lose and you're done. How hard is it for athletes to deal with that word with pressure? And how, how much of an impact does that play on you when you're playing in, in playoff games? 
Yeah, that, that's an interesting question, you know, because I, I, just personally, I, I think pressure pressure is a personal emotion. You know, um, I think expectations uh, of others uh, and expectations of yourself, you know, it could play into that a little bit. I, I think when you deal with professional sports and it's on a, a national or a international level, you know, there's so much publicity. You, you can't get away from... Um, the expectations that people have uh, of you and of your team and, and of your situation. But, you know, the, I, I think about uh, all of my competitions and whether it be, you know, as a player in football, as a, as a swimmer on an international stage, and it, it, I was a national champion in swimming, I was a national championship a runner in at Masters 5K, um, competed in, in in lots of different sports and lots of different events, and I, c- I can really say that the, the pressure that that word I, I don't think uh, really um, made an impact on me. It, it, it wasn't. I never felt like uh, I had pressure to do something. I felt like I wanted to do it, and I felt like other people might expect things of me that, <laughs> in my own heart, I, I felt like I might not be able to deliver it sometimes. But I think that all ties in with your confidence. You know, and the confidence that a player has at any level um, that he can go out and perform at his very best, uh, I think, is just absolutely critical. And, and confidence comes with repetition, and that's physical repetition in practice. It's emotional repetition in, in then feeling what it's like, uh, you know, to compete at every level. And there is mental uh, repetition in, in the visualization that we talked about earlier, you know. So uh, that that. The pressure is, I, I think, is expectations. I think how how players deal with that, uh, uh, how they deal with it going into their their particular sporting events, I think, is uh, is another area of the mental preparation of an athlete that separates the really good ones from the really bad ones. Some people thrive on on the moment. You know, you always think about Michael Jordan. You know, wanting the ball and wanting to shoot it and making the shots. Well, he didn't make every shot at the end of the game. He made enough of them that he enjoyed it and had so much confidence in his ability to do it that he wanted. It. I don't think a guy like that ever felt pressure. You know, he wanted the opportunity to perform at the highest level because he was so confident that he could do it, um, that it provided a, a, a way of uh, dealing with the, the, the situation. I know one of the Chiefs players that I worked with last year, uh, leading up to the Super Bowl, we discussed the fact, I said, look, uh, it's another game. When you're out there on the field and, you know, after two or three plays, you're playing football. It's the hype leading up to the game. That that's going to be the most important thing for you to be able to deal with and, and keep in perspective. And and indeed, after afterwards, he did say to me the, the the week after the game, he came and saw me and he said, you know, Doc, when when he came back and all the celebration was going on, he said, you were 100 percent correct. He goes, you know, the hardest thing was that that the two weeks before with all the publicity and I want to get into that this year because of the pandemic and everything. But he said, you're right. The second play of the game when I'm out there on the field, I was focusing on my my task and what I had to do and I and it, I didn't even think we were in the Super Bowl till the game was over. I, I didn't even think about that. I just kept focusing on my play. And it, it, that's what really gets you to be successful, right? Yeah, I think that's really true. You know, it's it's the, uh, and once again, it goes back to expectations, or it, it's what other people, uh, if you can if you can turn out, we, we used to say, you know, turn out the noise. You know, t- turn off the noise and listen to yourself. You know, you know who you are, you know what you are, you know what you can do. And the problem with, I think the pressure comes in a lot of time, Andy, is when somebody knows they haven't prepared well enough. 
when somebody knows that they aren't maybe at the level they need to be to be successful in this particular event. You know, you take a swimmer or somebody somebody involved in track, you know, so we're an individual sport where, where time is a factor. And if you told, uh, you know, when when Jim Ryan was running that four-minute mile in high school, the first one ever, uh, you know, the great runner from the great state of Kansas, and all of a sudden you were a high school runner at, uh, at Shawnee Mission East, and you're going to have to run against Jim Ryan, and you say you're going to have to go out and beat this guy, you know you can't run a four-minute mile, you know. And, and if everybody expected you to do that, it would be a travesty, you know. So uh, when they get on the highest level and they're expected to win, um, that becomes very difficult because really some know that they can't, and, and that's the hard thing, I think. So expectations have also got to stay in line with the ability, uh, you know, of, of the performer. And, and that's, got to, that's, a, that's a reality check, you okay. know. And, that, and that's something I think where a sports psychologist, a coach, uh, you know, a parent, you know, can be such an important, important part of the development emotionally, mentally, and every other way of the athlete is you can't put expectations on young kids or even on professional athletes that they won't be able to attain. Now, I know you've retired, but you're not having, you haven't been with the team actively this year. I, I, I'm guessing, right? You haven't been around, been with any teams, but... but uh, uh, yeah. I consult, I'm, but I, I know I was going to say, but I'm sure you've been consulting because I know people are going to watch your your knowledge because it's so plentiful. But let me ask this question: This year, with the pandemic and the crises that we've been in, uh, what do you think it's been like for players to play in empty stadiums? I mean, these are guys who've played around fans their whole lives, and of course now the playoffs are allowing certain. You know, they're letting some fans in some stadiums. The Chiefs have allowed uh, fourteen thousand people into all their games all year, or something like that. Um, what do you think it's been like for these players to play with without all of that going on? Because let's face it, that you know the the excitement of crowds really can can pump up or or get into a player's head. Yeah, you know that, that's a great question, and that's really an interesting thing to talk about because um, when when you're playing at the in the National Football League, we're talking about the NFL now. You know, you're used to playing like a place like Arrowhead. You know, it's packed to the brim, and the the emotion, and the you know the level of intensity of the fans and the the noise. You know, it's all part of dealing with the moment. And for some players, uh, playing in empty stadiums probably was an advantage because some some players uh, because they're human beings once again and some haven't had the mental and emotional training as others and some aren't as confident as others and the the quiet silent stadiums it's much like a practice it's much like a you know a, a scrimmage where there's nobody there is that does that's one less factor that they have to deal with if they don't have the confidence and if they don't have the the level of focus and the level of ability to focus you know on a particular play that they're running in a game whereas on the other side you know some people thrive in that environment some people, the emotion of the crowd, you know, they rely on the emotion of the people and the screaming and the yelling and, you know, all of that. They rely on that to get their emotional level at, at a higher level of intensity. So I think every single player had to adjust to a degree. Now, I will say this. When the game starts, when you're playing in a football game in, in a packed stadium, um, really the noise it's almost like a backdrop. It, you know, it, it's something that, that really doesn't affect you. What affects you, I think, is before the game, you know, during quiet moments of the game, you know, the emotion of the game. Um, but th- those silent stadiums, uh, you know, I, th- I think it affected players in a multitude of ways, some for the good, 
and some probably not so good. You know, for I want to get into our last segment here in a few minutes. I want to talk about kickers with you, and we're going to go to break here in a, in a minute. But I want to talk about the pressure on kickers because uh, last night we saw Justin Tucker, you know, the best kicker in the NFL by many people's opinions, miss two field goals. And that played a role in Baltimore's loss to the Bills because had he made those, that game would have been closer. Of course, he's kicking in a state. A lot of people don't understand the wind in these places is crazy. And you, you can do everything you can and the wind can take your ball boot. So it moves off, off target. So you've got to be able to really have a good mindset. And to me, that's what I want to get into, the, the pressure on, on specialists. And my whole emphasis out. I always talk about focus on effort instead of focus on results, and I want to talk about that with you in our last segment. Joining me this morning is Al Saunders, one of the great NFL coaches of our time. He's, he, he, I've known him for years. He, he's got such incredible knowledge about football, but about sport, but most, mostly about life, and he's been joining me this morning. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priorities to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. 
For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHP in Kansas City. You know, our shows are podcasted. If you want to listen to this later on in the day, later on in the week. And my guest today, Al Saunders, was on with me a year ago. Just want to give him a little plug here. He, he's a good friend of mine. I really respect him immensely. It's one of the, my top shows of all time listened to. Al was on the day the Chiefs had their first playoff game last year against Houston. And in that, in that podcast, Al talked about the keys to success for the Chiefs winning that playoff game. And Al, I don't know if you remember that, but you basically predicted what the Chiefs had to do to win that game. And as, as people listen to the show know, I, I, I've worked with over 30 Chiefs players over, over the years privately, and I've been a fan of the Chiefs, been going to games since the first game they ever played. But that team last year was down 24 to nothing in the first quarter and was up 28-24 at halftime and went on to win. And you sort of predicted in your, in your discussion with me that morning the keys to winning, being prepared, having the right attitude, being focused, and having the confidence. And you were exactly right because they're down 24 nothing. How do you think, before we get into the, the, the pressure for specialists, as I want to talk about, how do you think they were able to do that? I mean, obviously it started with Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, the leadership, but what, was it, what do you think that was about? Well, I, I think uh, they've been there before, uh, you know, in, in a lot of different ways. I think the Chiefs have so much confidence uh, in, in their ability to play the game. And the thing about football and, and basketball, uh, you know, you're dealing with a clock. You're dealing with so much time. And I think that the, the, the confidence that they have and their ability to score points, the, 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 the composure that Andy Reid has and the experience that he has as a coach, there's probably not very many players on that football team that hadn't been in a situation at some point in their careers where they were behind by a significant number of points and came back to win. And I think Andy taps that. I think the players tap that. I think their confidence in each other, their ability to perform, you know, in, in, a, in a crisis situation, in two-minute offense, um, I, I think they are just overwhelmingly blessed with, you know, the ability to play from behind. And they didn't get rattled. You know, they, they, they knew that they could come back. It, it goes back to the, the routine and the focus and the preparation and the confidence that they have in one another. If they lost that game, it would have been because there wasn't enough time to play it. Well, you and I met years ago back in the 90s when I was working with Nick Lowry, who used to co-host my show. Um, of course, you know, in my opinion, I'm a little bit biased, but I think Nick Lowry should be in the Hall of Fame. He, when he retired, he was the most accurate kicker in football history, and he kicked more fields than anybody in the history of the game. And back then, uh, it was a lot more difficult. There weren't as many indoor stadiums and things like that, and the statistics today are a lot higher for a lot of kickers. But to be a specialist, whether you're a, the field goal kicker or the punter, uh, or we could even say quarterback in a sense as a specialist, but but to be in that position, what mentally do you think they have to do to really be strong and go out there and perform? With, you know, the game's on the line. So you got a forty-five yard kick. You're down by two. There's six seconds left in the clock. What's their mindset need to be? Yeah, that, that's that's tough. 
boy, you know, that, that, that being a kicker, uh, a place kicker, uh, and probably you could throw a punter in there too, but being a place kicker, and, and you're right about Nick, I, I, he certainly deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. In fact, uh, he was up uh, as one of the 30 candidates this year, and I had made exhausted phone calls to people that were voting, you know, that there's no question that Nick should be in the Hall of Fame. And I think ultimately he will be, so that would be good for him. And I know that he attributes a lot of his success and a lot of his ability to perform uh, like he did as one of the best kickers ever to kick in the game of football uh, to you. And, uh, you know, I think that's common knowledge for everybody that uh, he appreciates what you did. For well, him. yeah, he was he co-hosted the show with me for a while and we worked together for I think it was like 13 years, the last 13 years he played. And 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 he bought into the mental aspect totally and the whole yeah. focus. And and that's where Al to me, I, I always talk about foe versus four focus on effort instead of focus on results. So for someone in that position, what do they have to do? Especially if yeah. we take last night's game, Justin Tucker, you know, arguably, you know, one of the, if not the best, one of the best kickers in football, misses two field goals. And, and, and sort of funny, Chris Collinsworth, the, the announcer, said he was accurate. He boinked one on the left, upright, and one on the right. Um, unusual for him to do, do that. He said he was very accurate yeah. both ways. But, you know, to do that, to be able to, to come back from those kicks, mentally, what do you have to do? Yeah, well, that, that, you know, that's, tough. That, that's like golf. Uh, you know, being a kicker is being like a golfer, an archer, uh, you know, uh, it, it's your, there's nothing that affects your performance for the most part other than you. And ultimately, some, some kickers are just better than others. Their leg strength and all of those things, you know, are better. But I, I think with a, with a golfer, with an archer, with a kicker, I think that those that fail oftentimes, they think about the, their consequences of failure you know, rather than the reward of success. You know, what if I don't make this kick? You know, we're going to lose the game. What if I don't make this kick? We won't go into overtime. You know, what if I, you know, what if I, I, I miss this kick? I'm going to let down, you know, all these people and all these fans and my family and my, and, and rather than their, their, their focus goes on what if I miss versus the, the, the emotion and, and the, 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 the mental aspect of if I make it. You know, there's no if there. The preparation, the the uh, the, the uh, repetition, the confidence, and in, in the ability to make a kick, you know, really plays into it. I, I think it's the, it, the routine. You know, as a golfer, you look at every golfer on a, the putting green; they have a routine. You look at every single kicker; they have a routine. And those that can stay within themselves, stay within their own emotions, and not you know, acquiesce to the emotions of the environment or of the situation. You know, a lot of those guys let the situation take over. They can't do that. You know, it's they've got to let their performance, they know that they can make those kicks. But yet why does some line up, you know, like in the Baltimore game last night and doing two of them? Well, is that technique? You know, I'm sure part of it was. There's the holder and the snapper. That all goes into it. But the routine that that kicker has and I think the thing that goes into their mind and their mindset is, you know, I've done this a million times before. There's no difference in this than if nobody was in the stands. <laughs> if there's 100,000 people in the stands screaming and yelling, the score is, is uh, you know, 17 to, to 16. If I make this field goal, we're going to win 1917. That has, that has no part of it. It's just go through the routine, stay focused, go through your routine and do it the same way you've always done it. And, and I think their battle always is, 
to stay within themselves and stay within that routine. And once again, not let that outside, as you would say, the pressure or the focus or the, you know, the distractions from outside be a factor in their performance. You know, your your expertise and knowledge is, is just so plentiful with this, and, but you're right. And, and, and so to me, I think, especially for, you know, you get to this point, you win and you go on, you lose and you're done. You've got to focus on your effort. You've got to focus on your concentration and what you're doing at that moment. And if you're thinking about results, you're not thinking about what you have to do to become successful. And that's where, to me, the main aspect of this, this whole thing is your preparation and your confidence and the attitude you have, which you mentioned. So, you know, as we wrap things up here, the, the keys to repeating to get back to the Super Bowl are basically what, Al? If you had to sum it up, what would it be? The keys to get back to the Super Bowl are do the things that got you there, where you are now. And, and that's what happens, you know, the coaching, the playing, the performance of the individuals. You can't try to do too much. You know, the game is no different than any other game. In football, there's still 11 people on, on the field at a time. The rules are the same. The ball is the same. You know, the plays may be different from game to game. But if, if, if those players just stay within themselves, and focus on what got them there, the level of performance they had to, had, to, had to play at to get to where they are in the Super Bowl or the AFC Championship game. If they just focus on that and go out and play and, 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 and turn out the distractions that may be uh, in the media, don't listen to the radio, don't listen to the newspapers. You know better about yourself and you know more about your abilities than anybody that's writing or anybody that's broadcasting you know, about the game. And just go out and play and their ability to make it back to the Super Bowl and, and perform well um, is in the cards. Al Saunders, my good friend, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Your knowledge is just unlimited. I, I cannot thank you enough for sharing all that with our listeners. And, you know, so many people listen to these podcasts and what you've said is going to help a lot of people out. You, you know, there's a reason you were such a great coach or a great person, great parent, grandparent, just a great individual and your good friend. I want to thank you so much for joining me today, Al, as always. And, you know, I appreciate your friendship as, as much as anything. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I appreciate those words. And uh, you know how, how well received your programs are and, and what a great service you have done um, to all levels of athletes uh, in sport. And thank you for that. Well, you take care of yourself. I'll talk to you soon. That was Al Saunders, one of the one of the best coaches I've, maybe the top coach I've ever known. I want to appreciate him joining us this morning. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Our shows are podcasted here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. They're on my website, winnersunlimited.com. They're also on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, SoundCloud, all over the place. If you've got a coach that you know, have them listen to this show. Al's knowledge can help everybody out. Stay safe. Take care of yourself. We'll talk to you next week here on The Leader in Sports, Sports Radio 810 WHB. You've been listening to the Sports Psychology Hour. For more information, go to winnersunlimited.com. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. 
If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Olivia, from Washington. Laid off and trying to keep our little kids from realizing that mommy and daddy haven't eaten in a while. Roger, from California. I'm grateful we could afford our son's surgery. I'm nervous that now we can't really afford food. Daniel, from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Donna from Louisiana. The storm just hit, and we went from donating to the food bank to needing it. Keisha from South Carolina. I've been skipping meals so my two kids can eat, but filling up on water doesn't really work. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council.